Let's take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of 2 Kings this evening. 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. We're going to begin reading in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 12 tonight. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 17. For the lighthouse, where would this ship be? Carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Harbar by the river Gozan and the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, 
whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away from them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And they served, for they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Now in our passage tonight, we're reading in a portion of Scripture that is <clears throat> relating to us the captivity of Israel. Israel is going into captivity uh, of, the, of the Syrians, the, the Assyrians, excuse me. 721 B.C., the Israelites are now going into captivity. They have sinned against God. They've, it's very clear here that their, their, their walk and their lifestyle has not pleased the Lord. Matter of fact, they had no good kings whatsoever, not one good king from the time Jeroboam took over to the time now they're going into captivity, not one good king. And as a result of that, God gets fed up with what's taking place. And so I want to take the passage for just a moment. I want to break it down for just a minute. And then I'm going to uh, share the title of our message tonight. But in the passage, we see their forgetfulness. And it's very important to understand this. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now again, they forgot what God had done for them. Anytime we forget what God has done for us, we're in real trouble of straying from the Lord. That's just a reality of it. The fact is, is that we must forever re be reminded and remember what God has done for us. He has delivered. He delivered them out of Egypt. He delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh. And now here they are forgetting what God had done for them. If they hadn't forgot what God had done, I, kinda, I, gotta have, I have a hard time believing that they would have continued to, to praise other gods and to worship other gods and to create other gods. But no, they, they did not remember what God had done. They were negligent in remembering the things that God had done. Verse 7, they were for their forgetfulness. But notice their folly in verse 8. <clears throat> and they walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Again, they forsook the Lord who delivered them into the promised land, the very God who placed them in that land. And instead of serving the God that put them in the land, not only did they forsake Him, but now we see here that they, they served the gods of the heathen who had fallen before them at one point. I mean, God delivered them into this land. God had delivered the, the people of that land into their hand. And now here they are worshiping the gods of the very heathens that they had taken in battle. Their folly. Isn't it sad that they walked in the statutes of the heathen? You know, <clears throat> the problem is, is that so often as believers we do the same. We walk in the statutes of this world in which we live. We follow the rules that they set. We abide by their set of standards. We determine what is of value based on what they tell us is of value. But the fact is, is that we have a Bible and we have a God in heaven that defines what success is. And He defines what value is. He defines what, what true riches are. And if we will be in the Word of God and very sensitive to the Spirit of God, 
then we too will find our way through this muck and mire of the world in which we live and not be conformed to their image, but instead be conformed to the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> notice their folly. We see their forgetfulness, their folly, but notice their fraudulence. Verse 9. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right, uh, were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities and from the towers of the watchmen to the fenced city. Now again, notice they did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. As bad as they were in the sight of others, as obvious as some of their sin was, they were much worse in reality than they appeared. Someone says, I just don't understand why God would do that to his people. I don't know why God would place them in Assyrian captivity and, and require them to be ripped out of their land and taken captive. I don't get it. Well, not only did they worship idols, did they build idols, but the Bible tells us they did secretly those things that pleased not the Lord. The fact is, they were much worse than they even appeared to be. And by the way, God doesn't have to please you. He doesn't have to please me. And that's a scary thought sometimes to me. I would like to think that God would always want to make me happy. But unfortunately, God doesn't always care whether I'm happy or not. He cares that He is magnified and glorified. And in this case, there's a people, of, of, a people that are the people of God. But they, they are doing some horrible things. But not only that, they're even more horrible than they even appear on the surface. <clears throat> we see their forgetfulness, their folly, their fraudulence. Notice their foolishness now. Verse 10 through 12. And they set them up images and groves in every, in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places and did the, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away from them, from before them, excuse me, away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. You, you talk about foolishness, okay? Here's the bottom line. You say, yep, they, they lifted up these groves. They, 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 they worshipped over here and they did this and they made idols. Yeah, that's right. But the bottom line is this. They served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. You shall not do this thing. That, that's their foolishness. <clears throat> Yeah, they, they, they worshiped idols, yes. But he said, you shall not do this thing. Doesn't God tell us some things we shouldn't do? But it's okay because it's not a big thing. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're, 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 we're molding or making an idol and bowing down to it, right? I mean... Oh, I know what God says about church, and I know what He says about the Bible, and I know what He says about the prayer life, and I know what He says about being conformed to the image of Christ, not being conformed to the world. I understand all that, but, but come on now, we need to be realistic. Wait, wait a second. You know where their foolishness was? He said, you shall not do this thing. And they did anyway. You think sometimes maybe we do things that God says, you shall not do this thing? Do you know how foolish that is? Notice their future, though. You say, what, their future all of a sudden? Yeah. We go all the way back to verse 6 now. <laughs> See, verse 7 through verse 12, and even on into that chapter, outlines why verse 6 
came to pass. Notice in verse 6, it says that and in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria. And carried Israel away into Assyria. See, they went into captivity. That's their future. The end of their sinful heart was captivity. And we, we, we know that captivity is a state of being held against one's will. We know that. We'll talk a little more about it later. But they were not free to enjoy the blessings of God now. Satan takes great pleasure in binding the believer after they've been saved. And since he can't take us to hell with him, he'll do all he can to make us as miserable as we can possibly be and also as ineffective as we can be for the Lord. See, sin always leaves us in captivity. Tonight, I, I'm, I'm preaching a simple message. It's not going to last real long, but it's called this, Secret Sin and Sorry Saints. Secret sin and sorry saints. You want to know what the truth is? Secret sin will always produce a sorry saint. Always. Secret sin will always produce a sorry saint. And may I say that probably the greatest sin of Israel was the sin that you never saw. And the greatest sin of every believer in this room tonight is the sin that none of us can see. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> Lord, we pray, dear God, that you would help us. Father, tonight, may you speak to our hearts through the simple word of God. Thank you, Father, for its simplicity. Thank you, Lord, that you permit us the privilege to be here and to hear the word of God proclaimed. Now, Father, do this work in our lives tonight. May you root out sin. And may you, Father, convict us of secret sin if indeed there's any there. But Father, we do certainly pray that you do your work in our life. We do not want to hear from a mere man. We want to hear from you, Lord, the Master. Holy Spirit of God, speak tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 9 again. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. Again, see that? The children did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. Secretly, that word itself means privately, not openly, without the knowledge of others. It, it means inwardly, not apparently or visibly. So you say secretly? Yes, privately then. So we could say that the children of Israel did privately, in a sense, uh, did those things that no one had knowledge of that were not right against the Lord their God. So they were doing wrong. They just weren't doing it so others knew about it. They were doing things that went contrary to the Scriptures, contrary to God, contrary to His desire and design. But... But nobody else knew about it. It was secret. It was private.
their sin was not necessarily visible to others, but it was very apparent to God. Take your Bibles tonight. Let's look at just a few verses. Proverbs 15, 3. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, we read this passage, and it's a... It really ought to strike almost a fear in our hearts to some degree. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. One of the things I like about this passage is that it focuses not just on the evil, but on the good. You know, you often wonder, well, okay... Or you remember hearing that there's going to come a day where we're going to be judged for our works and, and it'll go through the fire and if it comes forth, you know, gold, hay, uh, you know, I mean gold, hay, <laughs> gold, wood, hay and stubble and all that good stuff, you know, precious stones and all that. I mean, either I'm getting it all mixed up right now, but anyway, nonetheless, you're going to have some good things and bad things, right? God's viewing the good too. When we're doing right, God's watching. When we're doing, doing things his way, he's watching. You know, sometimes we view God as a, a, a father in heaven with a baseball bat waiting to pounce on us, to hit us hard. No, God's looking to see us do something right. God's watching to, to, to be able to say, wow, good job. I want to encourage you in that. Listen, God wants to see us in God's house, and he wants to see us uh, serving in his work. He wants us to, to have a good spirit and a good attitude and a good heart. He wants us to speak well and to use our tongue for good and not evil, not to be a well, uh, you know, a, a cistern, of, of a cesspool of, 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 of nasty water springing forth out of our hearts and so forth. He wants good things to be able to say, man, that's wonderful, that's good. Boy, I want to bless you for that. And I'm looking at that, and I'm seeing it. I'm recording it. It's wonderful. But he also sees the evil, too. Uh, again, I think sometimes we focus too much on the evil. and We ought to be more positive and more encouraging and say, boy, God's watching you. He wants to be able to, to recommend you. He wants to be able to elevate you. He wants to be able to honor you as you honor him. But the truth is, he does see the evil too. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. By the way, that means they're here tonight. Beholding the evil and the good. That means that, they're, that means that that his eyes are in the car on the way here and the way home, beholding the evil and the good. That, that means that, that in your home, he's that fly on the wall. He sees everything, hears everything. He's beholding the evil. And the good. First Peter, take your Bible, look over there. First Peter chapter three, verse twelve. <clears throat> that means in the quietness of your room, teenager. He's beholding the evil and the good. That means at the school where you attend, the Lord's beholding the evil and the good. First Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Aren't you glad about that? And his ears are open unto their prayers. We're certainly grateful. 
But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Is evil defined in the Bible? You ever done evil? When's the last time you did evil? Was it just five minutes ago? Ten minutes ago? Was it an hour ago? Was it a day ago? Was it on the way to church? I mean, the Bible defines what it is. You have an unforgiving spirit in your heart? Committing evil. The face of the Lord is against you. You got a bitter spirit? It's evil. It's evil. I didn't define it. God does. You're a rebellious teenager? A rebellion in your heart? Let's just get real nasty now. Ladies, you got a rebellious spirit toward your husband? It's evil. See, we like to fall in that category. We want to say, well, God's blessing me. God's taking good care of me. But wait a second. God defines what evil is. You know what's right and wrong. So do I. Why do we play so ignorant so many times when it comes to evil? Pretend we don't know what it is. When we watch things we shouldn't watch, we listen to things we shouldn't listen to, we do things we shouldn't do, do we, 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 we go places we shouldn't go. Our, our spirit is grieved. The Holy Ghost is grieved. We know He is. And yet we excuse it for whatever reason. And then we say to ourselves, well, you know, I'm a good Christian. Hey, the Lord's watching. He's listening. He's not like a man. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts aren't ours. You can go ahead and think whatever you want, and I can think whatever I want. We can have whatever perspective we desire, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't answer to me, and I don't answer to you. We answer to God. And the truth is, is that God here tonight is beholding the evil and the good. And unfortunately for the children of Israel, He saw past their, even their actions. He saw to their heart. Their greatest sin was not what they did. Their greatest sin was what they tried to cover up. And they did a good job of covering it up. It was secret. It was private. The only problem was it's never private for God. Hebrews 4.12 teaches us that. Let's look over there. Four twelve and 13. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12. You might know the verse by heart, that first verse there, but the second verse is the one that really impacts that whole process here. Notice what it says. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now let's just make it clear. We, we, know, we, we know this. We understand this, I think. The Word of God is not just a book. It is a person. Jesus Christ. And notice what the Bible says about itself. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows every thought and every intent. He knows. But notice he goes on to say here now, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Made known, okay? Made known in his sight. 
But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. They're naked and opened under the eyes of him. That means there's not one thing, not one thought, not one thing that escapes God. He has perfect knowledge of your heart. Perfect insight to your mind and my mind. That's God. Perfect. Someone says, I don't hate so-and-so. Really? What's God have to say? See, He knows. You can fool all of us. You can't fool God. Oh, I forgave that person years ago. Really? You, you forgave them? That's amazing. When I, you talk about them, you still get so angry. You think maybe God sees it a little differently than maybe you do or maybe how you've tried to portray it? You say, yeah, but, but I have a good reason for being angry. That's not the issue, though. You may very well have a good reason, but our reasons don't hold water if God gives us a command. I'm just saying God knows perfectly well what we really feel. See, young people, He knows if you are, are upset with your parents, even though you may still do everything they tell you to do. You may resent them anyway. He knows whether you do. See, it's not going to be probably for you young men what you do, but what goes on in here that's the biggest sin, the biggest problem. See, I, I can live with a guy that tells me, I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight. That's just what I'm going to do. I could care less what God thinks. And I think God appreciates his honesty. But I think he really struggles with a Christian who tries to pretend to be something and then turns around and lives like the devil behind closed doors or in their heart. Yes. Amen. See, I, I think there's a difference. Someone talking about, I love Jesus and I love everybody, but then they go ahead and rip people to shreds later. You tell me God doesn't know the heart? He just told us He does. We're naked in His sight. Manifest. See, the judge of all the universe has an all-seeing eye and an all-hearing ear. All the outward trappings are removed and, and the true self is uncovered before God. That's all there is to it. There's no fake smiles in God's presence. There's no flowery words or phony sentiments. There's no selfish works. There's no pretend sacrifice. Doesn't work with God. Doesn't get past Him. It doesn't impress Him. It doesn't fool Him. Proverbs fifteen eleven. In this particular passage, the Bible says, "Hell and destruction are before the Lord." How much more then? The hearts of the children of men. Wow. That's powerful, isn't it? Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more then the hearts of the children of men? You know what? It's just so imperative that we are genuine, that we are real, both outwardly and inwardly. Numbers 32, 23 says, you don't want to be real and genuine inwardly, or outwardly, he says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. 
even as the children of, 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 of Israel there uh, were supposed to help their brethren before they entered into the promised land, they said, Manasseh and them said, hey, we'll just stay on this side, Jordan. We don't want to, we don't go on the other side, Jordan. You know, we're, we're satisfied with the land right here on this side of Jordan. And he said, listen, listen, Reuben, uh, you know, uh, Manasseh and, and have tri- uh, excuse me, uh, the Gadites, the, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, listen, you, you guys want to stay on this side? That's fine. But you're going to help the rest of us go over there and fight that battle. Listen, your brethren caused those people to be discouraged last time. Remember when those spies went in the land they came back? The only two that were standing were, were Caleb and Joshua. Outside of them, your brethren discouraged each other. And as a result of that, we didn't get in the promised land. You're not going to discourage the brethren this time. You will not. And as a result, you will fight or be sure... Be sure your sin will find you out. You want to know something? Secret sin will not always be secret. Be sure. Be sure your sin will find you out. Israel made a bad mistake. A horrible mistake. The mistake was they thought that they could keep their sin secret. See, daddy may have been doing a good job keeping his sinful heart and deeds from his wife, from his children, from his co-workers, from his acquaintances. Uh, wife, the wife, the, the women, they may have had children and, and fooled them and, and, and they fooled their friends and their husband and, and the folks at church. They had them all fooled. The, the children had mom and dad fooled. Their, they had their teachers buffalo. They had their siblings in the dark. I mean, nobody knew how sinful their heart really was. Grandpa, Grandpa appeared to be holy and upright. And Grandma, she was a saintly woman. But God saw their hearts. God saw beyond this. The mistake, they thought they could keep their sin secret. And guess what? God knew. See, they may have possessed an elevated position in society. They may have had a place of preeminence in the church. They may have had a reputation above reproach before the world. But the fact was, God wasn't buying any of it. They couldn't hide their sin from God. And that was the result. I'm I'm telling you. And and what was the result of of hiding their sin? Trying to get over on God and everyone else? (laughs) That secret private sin? Captivity, that's what it brought. Captivity, that was the result of their secret and their private sin. Captivity means the state of being a prisoner or of being in the power of an enemy by force or the fate of war. So the state of being a prisoner or of being in the power of an enemy by force. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, look there, would you please? 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. We're going to read through verse 26. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, again, we have Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. And his, he writes here, this is often referred to as a pastoral epistle. He's trying to give him insight, understanding, prepare him for the work of God, keep him on top side, not get discouraged in the things of God. But notice what he says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. That's interesting right there. That's a good statement. 
if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. See, the fact is that after you are saved, after I'm saved, we can permit ourselves to be taken captive, to be made prisoner by, and under the power of Satan. Sadly, many believers are prisoners to the flesh and to the devil today. Not because they appear to be, but privately. Privately. They live their lives in fear of being found out. Or, possibly, they've grown so confident in their deception that they arrogantly believe that they will never be found out. Nobody will ever know what I'm doing. Nobody will ever catch me. I'm too smart for that. Too smart. But Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What's he saying? Be sure your sin will find you out. Sadly for these, the real joy of the Christian life has been lost. The Holy Spirit, no power. It's forfeited. The Holy Ghost power is forfeited. Why? Because of secret sin. Because of private sin. The peace of God is an an elusive dream to them. They function out of duty. They focus on responsibility. They do what they're supposed to do because their appearance is more valuable to them than their presence with God. The enemy has tricked them into believing that this is how everybody lives their lives. Everybody has secret sin. Everybody has their sin. That's like every couple fights. And if you don't fight, then you're lying. You've heard it all your life. Everybody says, well, if a couple tells me they're not fine, I, I know better. I'm married. <laughs> no, you're just testifying. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you're testifying now. It's the same thing. Everybody, too many people want to believe that everybody's as messed up as they are. Because it makes them feel better about what they are and who they are. And they can just kind of pacify that guilt in their heart the conviction that they feel, and they can say, well, obviously, everybody has their problems. This just happens to be a problem for me, and it's not that big a deal. I can control it. I could quit any time I wanted. And if it wasn't that, maybe it's not that, and someone else, and I've had people say this to me, well, you know, you have your sin, I have mine, and that's just the way it is. And I said, well, what's your sin? Well, I don't want to tell you what your sin is. And I said, well, then, you know, you're telling me I have a sin? You already know that I have this sin that's, that's secret? That I go around trying to hide all the time from you and everybody else? I mean, what's your sin? Because maybe you think I have your sin. I'd like to be able to tell you I don't. Can you tell me what it is? Because obviously the bigger your sin, the bigger you think mine is. Yeah, that's true. 
Isn't that how it really works? The worse your marriage is, the more you think everybody has marriage problems. And, and the worse your kids are, the more you want to believe everybody else's kids are just as bad. So what's your sin? Because I just want to clarify that I don't have that problem in my life. It's certainly not that big. Let's get it now nailed down, okay? Well, you know how it is. No, I don't know how it is always. Maybe you don't know how it is either. Praise the Lord. It's sad today that we want to believe everybody's as messed up as we are. Is it possible that there are somebody in the world that actually lives the Christian life successfully? Is it even possible today? So why do we assume nobody does? Why do we assume that's the standard? Failure. I'll tell you why. Because of secret sin. It's not dealt with. We don't want to believe that there's success in the Christian life because that means we are failures then. We'd prefer to believe that we're all in the same boat and we're all doing just fine. But let me tell you something. Israel did not figure it all out until they ended up in captivity. They were bound. They became the prisoners of Satan. You know what? That's where the consequences of secret, private sin always ends us up. Right there. It's not to our marriage is wrecked. It's not to our families divided. It's not to our job is lost. It's not to our freedom is removed. It's not till the bank account is drained or all hope is lost. It's not until all of those things until finally we say, wait a second. Man, this secret sin is no good. It's too late then. We're in captivity. We think of things like we like to believe it always. You know, secret sin has to be just immorality and pornography, right? I mean, that's the biggies, right? And it, it is. Sadly enough, unfortunately, they are very common today. And they're very devastating to marriages and homes and churches. However, they're not the only sins that are secret and private. Well, I don't have a problem with pornography. I'm good to go. Really? That, you're good to go because you don't have a problem with pornography? You mean there's no other issue in your life? You're, you're, you're serious now. You mean to tell me that that backbite, you mean to tell me that gossip, you mean to tell me that that, that stuff you post on the Internet and the stuff you post, all that stuff's godly? Well, I don't, I'm, at least I'm not tied up with immorality. I'm not cheating on my wife. But you've still got sin in your life. And sometimes it sneaks out whether you think it does or not. Even if you hide it so well, the devil and God both know it's there. Our temper, our tongues, our attitudes, our actions, our music, our perspectives, our outlook, and so many other things can be covered up with a rosy exterior. Stand up here and sing Amazing Grace and then turn around and listen to country music or rock music or Christian rock during the week. You're a hypocrite. Teach Sunday school, but you don't tithe. You don't come to church faithful. You don't soul win. You don't try to reach anybody with the gospel, and you know that's a standard in our church. Why don't you just be man or woman enough to admit, I'm not what I'm supposed to be, and I'm cheating on God and cheating on everybody else. Somebody says, man, you're getting rough. Listen, we are playing games with God. We're playing games. Folks, listen, what are we doing here? Is it really just about you and me tonight? Is that what this is about? Because if it is, we might as well shut the doors. If it's not about something that's going on outside the walls of this church, then we are wasting our money and our time. 
There are people dying and going to hell because we are so self-satisfied. We can master the art of deception. We can appear to wear righteousness extremely well. But if we don't genuinely possess it in our hearts, then we are dabbling in private, secret sin. And we can hide our sin from people we know. We can't hide it from God. The Israelites were content to live an insincere and sinful existence. They were content to do so. It wasn't until they were taken captive and the consequences of their sin was manifest that they finally were sorry. I guarantee you they were sorry. I'm telling you, when they were watching their wives, their children be murdered and killed, when they were watching their children be ripped out of their hands and and placed into different locations of the cities and different places of that country, and they were no longer a mommy and a daddy anymore, let me tell you something, they were sorry. Man, I wish we'd have done things different. I can't stand that my children have been taken from me. Oh God, what are you doing? Oh God! Secret sin and sorry saints. It always goes hand in hand. Hand in hand. I don't want to wait till it's too late. I don't want to wait till I'm bound and sorry before I wake up. Some of you men messing around with pornography. Would you quit messing around with it and get it right? And you're not going to do it on your own. I know you're a big man and all. But if you could have done it on your own, you'd already done it. You need to get some help. You're going to wait till you lose your family first. You're going to wait till that Christian wife of yours says, enough's enough, I'm sick of it, I can't take it no more. And then you'll come in and say, she's a Christian, I don't know if she's even ever been saved. If she was, she wouldn't want to leave me like that. I don't understand what's going on. I guess I'm free to divorce and get remarried. No, no, I don't care how much of a Christian somebody is, they only take getting slapped in the face so much. You better wake up before your secret sin catches up to you. And you know, some of you young men might be going into ministry and you think you've got it figured out, but you've been watching things and seeing things on the internet you shouldn't or on television you shouldn't. Let me tell you something. Why don't you just go ahead and wait a few years, get into the ministry, and then wreck a whole church over it. Just go ahead and do that, okay? That's a good time. Or you can't handle your temper and you have a tendency to put your hands on people and do things you shouldn't do like that. And then one day you abuse your child because you got so angry because they wouldn't shut their mouth. They're screaming all the time. You need to spank them. You need to get them right with God. (laughs) But you don't need to abuse them. And you do. And next thing you know, you're in jail. And your whole ministry's lost. This is what happens. That's called captivity. That's the result of secret sin. Wives playing around on the internet, talking to old school friends. Next thing you know, they're wanting to meet them for lunch. Before it's over with, they're involved in an affair that they never dreamed they'd ever be involved in. Secret sin. Sorry, saints. And they'll say, I'm sorry. Never thought I'd ever get here, but it's too late then. Sorry don't matter anymore. It's kind of sad today. We think we can just tag a sorry on the end and it's supposed to fix everything. Doesn't fix it. Your daughter walks in on you. 
viewing pornography, let me tell you, I'm sorry, ain't going to fix it. I've been reading a book on pornography, you can tell. The statistics are alarming. Alarming. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess, God cleanses. It's really simple tonight. If need be, if there's secret sin in your life, just confess it. God, He'll cleanse it. You've got to confess it. But depending on what it is, you may need some accountability. You may need somebody to help you, hold you accountable. And I know as men, especially, and I don't know about the ladies, but as men, we have a hard time with our pride. We don't want to have to admit anything that we're weak in. But let me tell you something. Before I would lose something valuable to me, before I'd be taken captive, I'd hope to God that I'd have the courage to reach out for help. Secret sin always produces sorry saints. And I think we need to get to the confession before we end up sorry.